0: No, she's had hers recorded before. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Ian, you had uh, uh, asked
1: a couple of questions that we had started answering. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, the first one was Did Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa discover? the The noble Dhamma, on his own, or has it been known all along? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is yes, or both. That in fact, what happened was is that he did discover the noble Dhamma, he knew it to be correct, was in arguments with the um, Pali scholars. That he was studying under in bangkok it was like he was doing phd in Pali or whatever mm-hmm. um, and was disagreeing with him and giving public talks and basically got into trouble about it but the trouble he got into there was a number of monks who were already inside the old boys club the outcome to that argument was that he was teaching the right dhamma to the wrong people mm. But it took a three-month study of the Pali and the Thai for them to come up with the point that uh, all of the ordinary monks who had been um, in that Sangha de of 20 monks, they had never understood the Noble Dhamma, And so they were unhappy when Bhikkhu Buddha Dansu was teaching it at a higher level. But there were already a number of monks who knew that. And the head counsel on that uh, committee was uh, the head monk in Thailand, Samdhat Sangaraj, who then became Bhikkhu Buddha Das's teacher. So
2: that turned out okay. to be a really good
1: outcome. Oh, it just got really more marvelous than that, because the only difference is, is does this noble dhamma now get taught in public Or is it going to be kept under wraps the way that it has been for so long? And the reason it's been kept under wraps is because people who hear that in our kind of society, it becomes uh, almost enemies. So Buddhist monks have to be seen as sacred rather than lazy. Really, we're just lazy. Yeah. (laughs) But you don't go around feeding people just because they're lazy. No, that's what I my find <laughs> 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 Um, so this is the uh, uh the, the noble teachings is much more really down to earth and practical, but it has to have that shine or polish on it for ordinary people to see any value in it. Mm-hmm. It was always
2: always the shine and the sort of, the magical elements and The realms and the devas and all this business that really, you know, dissuaded me not to follow the Buddhist path, I would say. It just seemed too convoluted
1: and full of Ah, too many magical elements. But but it's very easy to understand when you understand the easy principle that everyone who comes to the teachings of the Buddha brings all of that baggage with them. Hmm. And some of them drop their baggage and others don't. Right. Yes, but it's inevitable. Mm hmm. So and so it's inevitable for the mass majority of the people who follow the teachings of the Buddha Hmm. to do so in a ceremonial or a greedy way, wanting to get something out of it. Therefore, they uh, but. They're of value for themselves in the sense that they at least feel good because they're making merit. Not understanding that the, the act of making merit is the act of feeling good right then and there, and you get the benefits right now yeah. if it's a gift well-given.
3: And yeah, you're so in heaven in.
1: right now. Hmm. Yes, you're in heaven right now. And right. so uh, we have. there is no future to worry about. And yet there is beliefs in um, afterlives and heavens and hells and uh, predestination and great big authority figures somehow or another, like common machines or uh, whatnot. And and the, the human mind is capable of doing that. In fact, you can see that kind of behavior in really, really little kids, three and four years old. When the little boy is playing with his toy truck, zoom, 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 and he's pretending that that truck is a real truck and he's riding it around. That's in his mind. We humans have the propensity to do just those things. Is we we uh, invent, we magicalize, we're making concepts and whatnot like that. And um, this is basically what we could call the original sin is that magical thinking. And and part of the practical application of magical thinking is that this is better than that. This is higher than that. Yeah. The reality is, is that everything is just as it is and that it's the human's choice about whether he likes it or not
0: rather than the inherent goodness or badness in things. Right. It's very confusing
2: though, the history of it. Do you think when, when Buddhaghosa put together the Vasudhi that uh, he understood what he was doing, that he was presenting something that was that that he was deliberately suppressing or submerging the supramundane Dharma or or not? I, I
1: will um tell you a story <clears throat> that has to do specifically with the Vasudi on two levels. Hmm. One is is that the first monk that I met, who introduced me to Vichaguda Dasa, actually took the Vasudhimaga book out of my hand, which was almost kind of a, a no-no for a monk to do that. They don't do it, but he did it kind of for dramatic effect as he threw it on the bed, not even setting it down. In other words, he was indicating that this was not a sacred book. He was doing no. that in a big way. Later, I found out that um, there's a whole history of that, including in the very old days, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa would say that he would agree with 95% of the Vasudhi yeah, Magha. That. But that's old. By the hmm. time that he died, it was a book to be burned. In fact, he, thought, he was saying that the Abhidhamma and the um, uh, Vasudhimagga. Uh, if they were drowned in the sea, nobody would lose anything.
2: Yeah, I find the Abhidum is so dry and pointless.
1: <laughs> well, so, uh, when you've got a lot of time on your hands and you're bored,
0: why not try to write ciphers? Yeah So, right. uh, the um ah uh, back to the story, though, ah, uh,
1: the die that that was actually an evolution of bhikkhu Buddhadasa,
0: Uh to, excuse me, it's a little bit dry. Um, there was kind of an evolution there at Wat
1: Suan Mok that had to do with the cracking of the door. There's a, there's something pow in here into, wow, this whole place needs to be burned down. All right. Now, behind that, uh, there was actually a conversation that I had with V. K. Bhutadasa about this, and his uh, his point. In fact, we had several conversations on various topics. But let us put it this way: that conversation boiled down to that there were two possibilities. One was that. Uh, Bhikkhu Bhutagosa was missing something. That he was missing something possibly because he was just writing stuff down. That He was a scholar and he was collecting any and everything that he could find, but Mm. that he had no practical knowledge behind that, or did he even care about it? That, in fact, he was very much like a um, Sigmund Freud. In a sense, the boy didn't care a whit about the cure. He was only interested in causes and effects in the sense of why are these women hysterical or why are these, uh, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. But he was yeah. not interested in cures at all. Well, you could see that Bicca Budagosa was like that, that he was just sort of a, a librarian that was collecting yeah. a whole bunch of books together and stitched them into one volume.
2: That's how it seems, like a, like a chronicler or something like that. Just wanted to make sure all the texts were covered.
1: Well, um, it does have a format. And the format is, is that it follows a um, <clears throat> a particular sutta. The sutta is actually number 24 in the Majjhima Nikaya. And that sutta is the chariot relay, which has the seven stages of one's own development. And you can see subtle changes in, and sometimes massive changes, in his uh, views in that book from actually what the teachings of the Buddha were. Okay. And so he was putting a lot of local lore and things like that in it. Possibly, in fact, because he was also involved with collecting all the commentaries. That that was the source of his understanding of stuff. He had kind of a whole bunch of guys doing this. And by the way, an important point was is that he was from Bihar. He was a local boy. He was Brahmin by birth, mm-hmm. and he ordained as a monk. But he went to Sri Lanka to do all of this research in the writing of the Magga. That's one of the oh. reasons why the Sri Lankans are really into the Magga. Mm-hmm. And this is about somewhere between four fifty and four eighty. A.D. is when this happened, which, by the way, was about the birth of the Tantra. And you can see, in fact, that all of the magical stuff that's in that book was also fitting in with the way that the uh, uh, the whole mood of the, of the group was going, just like um, <clears> the <throat> Supreme Court will vote according to the whims of the uh, the mass majority of the people. In other words, if everybody wants this thing happening, then the judges are unlikely to rule against that to tick off all the people. Mm-hmm. So that, so that's also possible, that there was a movement going on that, that is now known as the Tantra, which is an evolution out of the Mahayana, which is an evolution out of the original uh, books. So... There's the other story about Bhikkhu Buddha Gosa, and that is is that because he was Brahmin, that he had vested interest in it. That in fact, he could have well known what the actual teachings of the Buddha were, but he did not want that stuff spread. He wanted to keep it obscure. He wanted to keep it hard to find and hard to locate because Mm -hmm. the Brahmins, his tribe, can't make any money off of people who are Basically, out there, kind of uh, competing with them for no charge.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I see. Well, that sounds credible as well, doesn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. But but one one of the other consequences uh, in terms of practice seems to have been that anapanasati was removed from being in a central position to being just one of maybe thirty or forty techniques that you could use in in your practice, in your, your daily meditation practice.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa has, in fact, uh, become publicly in Thailand known uh, on the point, uh, controversial point of saying the the Buddha only taught one Mm. kind of meditation. And the meditation that he taught was Anapanasati, and he taught it according to the Eightfold Noble Path. That when you're practicing the Eightfold Noble Path, you use Anapanasati as your vehicle to practice the Eightfold Noble Path. And so, okay. the, we, so the, we then practice the Eightfold Noble Path for the fulfillment of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. We then practice the Four Foundations of Mindfulness for the fulfillment of uh, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment. Right, and then we practice the seven factors of enlightenment, or actually, we do or perform the seven factors of enlightenment, which gives the results of uh, knowledge and deliverance, or knowledge and freedom. Mm-hmm. We get re- the release, or the uh, the the end of the search.
2: So there's no separate vipassana practice that you need to turn to at some point or other.
1: The word Vipassana itself is used rarely, and in fact, the place that is used most often is in braces where Bhikkhu Bodhi or some uh, monk has inserted the word Vipassana into the Ah. text, that the word Vipassana doesn't show up until much later. Gosh. And the word samatha actually does appear in the ancient text, in the Majjhima Nikaya, etc., but only in the sense of the re- relaxation. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, and that is in re- in reference to step four of Anapanasati, the relaxation of the body that you have when you're completely relaxed, comfortable, at ease, satisfied and therefore about to enter into the first jhana, or in fact, in the first jhana, which that is then the relaxation of being at ease. Okay. Right. So, so uh, the controversy between Vipassana and Samatha uh, was a later thing, and in the Anguttara Nikaya, it already had seemed to become an issue, Because in that literature, there are about eight or nine different versions of the point that you should not make a distinction between vipassana and samatha, that if you have one and not the other, then you go get the other. And if you have neither one of them, get both of them together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Plus, which one is greater than the other is like two wings of the bird. If you can't get, in other words, uh, why get peaceful if. An example of a camera on a tripod. Why bother to get a camera on a tripod
0: if you're not wanting to take high-quality photos? All right. All
1: right. So that means that if you're going to mount the mind into Samatha and then not not take a look, or the Vipassana looking within... You got to have both. There's the the both of them to do. But in fact, before the Buddha was uh, awakened, when he was practicing jhanas, they were doing only the samatha, getting easier and more restful, more at peace, more relaxed more nothing to do, literally nothing but so lazy that the monk just sits there <laughs> almost 24 hours a day with no place to go, nothing to do, a call of nature will do, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And so, but if that monk is not looking what's going on inside while he's sitting there, then he's wasting his time. And the Buddha recognized that. That's why he got up and went into the... um austerities had got really thin and all of that kind of stuff. It was after that, then he woke up to the fact that, no, the first jhana is, in fact, the the real point. That the first jhana, once you can master the first jhana, now you can use that first jhana to see what needs to be seen. Oh, wow. I wish I'd known that. Pardon? (laughs) I wish I'd known that. Well, genre's... it's right there in the sutras. I'm literally quoting yeah, the Sutra yeah, number one eleven yeah. right now, and <laughs> out of the Majjhima Nikaya. It's just I think okay. The...
2: Relied primarily on Western interpretations rather than the, the, you know, the source
1: material.
3: Well, the first Jhana well, that...
2: is, is not difficult, is it? It's not difficult to get into. It's a, I mean, it
1: takes a while, but it um, the first Jhana literally is a natural normal human state except that the human generally has no control of it
0: Hmm.
1: either in bringing it on or in keeping it going right so in the elation in fact one of the things that you could say is that people are looking for Glory, But what they're really looking for is the wow feeling that comes with adulation from a crowd or making a big win on Wall Street or any of those kind of things like running a hundred yard dash and getting a gold medal in the Olympics or making a touchdown or, or, or scoring a big win, this, that and the other thing, getting a new job. Buying a new house, buying a new car, going shopping, all of this kind of stuff is for the thrill of it all. We're looking for that thrill. Everyone's out looking for the thrill. Because they're disappointed in life and they need a thrill, they think. And actually, all of government and all of business and all of
0: education and all of uh, religion are all trying to sell you a thrill. Okay, because they know
1: where your buttons are, and so they try to give you what you want. Okay, if you want to get angry, if that's what your thrill is, getting all uptight about those people. (laughs) Okay, so... This is the whole point is, is that we're out there pleasure seeking, looking for stuffing that we fail to understand is when we do get it, we create it from within. When the football star makes his field goal and feels really good, he did that to himself. He could have made that field goal uh, after making 10,000 field goals like the old karate master (laughs) masters. Never mind. He's made that thrill so many times, it's not even a thrill anymore. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, so, that, well, yeah, sorry. so the point then is, is that the, the guy really had to th- control over being thrilled, hmm. and he didn't even know that he had the control over being thrilled. That This is the whole point about Anapanasanti with that pitti-sukha stuff, is that you've got to thrill yourself, into realizing that only you can thrill you we have to develop that stuff as a skill and that's the first jhana the first jhana is talking ourselves into feeling so great and so wow well. <laughs> it feels so good
2: right so they this is the, this this western go ahead. this western idea that there are there are also four vipassana jhanas and and they're, they're divided into 16 jhanas. Is that an additional, is that something that's been added later in the commentaries or is there any validity to that at all?
1: Well, there is certainly a truth in it. Yes, there is validity in in, in the sense that almost all of the work has to be done in gaining and control, getting into quickly and sustaining over a long period of time, the first jhana which is not the normal way that people want to practice it. They want to get into the first jhana so that they can get into the second jhana, so that they can get into the third jhana, and then they fall out. But where do they fall back to? It's back into the hindrances. Oh, I see. If you're going to do the higher jhanas, you need to have a landing point into the first jhana, which is back into wholesome thought. Oh, that makes sense. Well, it's right there in the suttas. Yeah, Except that it's hiding in plain sight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: this,
1: is what the the, this is what the middle path is all about. It's neither the high sensual pleasures of the higher jhanas, nor the tragedy of life, of the uh, uh, self-cladulation and trying to burn off our karma and having a bad moment and all of that kind of stuff at the other end of the scale. That middle point is not feeling bad. It's that first jhana state where all of our thoughts are wholesome. So we begin to practice having one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. And that's what the practice is. The sati is to remember, to gladden the mind. So we shouldn't expect an interminable
2: dark night of horrific meditation experiences.
1: Dark. Well, first off, there was never a dark night anywhere in any literature. That's a completely Western mentality. That's see, 100% Christianity shoved up the nose of Buddhism. Gosh. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Yeah, please. There, in, there is a document that we know of came popular about the time of the Vasudhi Maga, uh, and not too far uh, in the distant past before that. That is referred to as the 16 stages of insight. Right. Or the uh, uh, Vipassana Namas, the 16 yeah. stages of insight. What a lot of people fail to understand is, is that this is just the path to, to, first, uh, to the soda pop. but it is only looking at it from an ordinary viewpoint. And not only that, and most importantly, that this stuff does not necessarily be practiced in order. That, in fact, the last item on the list is ongoing investigation. It's the first thing we ever did or we'd never showed up trying to practice meditation. We already are looking at the fact that we need something done here. (laughs) Right? And so yeah, it's yeah. upside down from the beginning. The second point is, is that it's step 12 when the uh, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path come into play. Well, if you're not starting right out with the Eightfold Noble Path, you're not even doing the Buddha's teaching, so that means that the first 11 steps is just getting in the door. Oh, I see. So another way of saying it is is that steps 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, which go in the order of fearfulness, misery, disgust despair and great longing to get out of it followed by the resolution that i am going to make a change well that i am going to make a change is what we should sit down with not finally wind up in 20 years down that hole oh
0: wow
1: wow
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's absolutely fascinating thank you i should stop talking now and, and So your friends get a question
1: in. Yeah. Annie Lou, I I see you nodding your head, so that means that you're understanding what we're saying and I like that. Big smile on your face, not a confusion yeah. at all because we've talked before. So now we're li- now actually what we've been talking about. That because of his skill and understanding of the of the uh, ancient literature and whatnot, that we're speaking in that language. Many, many people would not be able to uh, understand that kind of language at all with all of these highfalutin words we've been using. But here you are keeping right up with it. And I want to congratulate you for that. You're up here with us. So welcome.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It does make a lot of sense, like, just hearing that. It's like, yeah, why would I want to go until to all those steps of the dark night? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, like, right now what's in my mind is I want to practice, like, this very instant and I'm having a bit of a hard time. Like, when I was hearing you talk, there were moments where I felt like everything softened and it was okay but then I struggle again like in this very moment (laughs) Um, and it's because there's this thing in my mind like there's these two cats that come to my house to and I feed them at night they're like stray cats and then there's this big cat who is like the king of you know like all the streets around So this Mm -hmm. big cat started to get aggressive. And two nights ago, one of the cats came and her tail was like um, very bad, like bleeding. So I had to trap her. And it was very hard, but I took her to the vet and they had to cut her tail. And she had surgery today and she's still in the vet, but it's okay. And today the other cat, he also got attacked by the big cat. Uh, So I tried to, to trap the cat that got injured. So I made like this homemade trap and I almost got it, but he went away. And since I already had him under a box, he's not coming back because he won't trust me again. So I was very, very, very upset with myself because I almost got him and I knew like he's not coming back. He knows I tried to trap him. Just as the other cats I trapped, like she beat me and all that. I knew I had only one chance. And with this cat, I blew it. So I started to get really worried. Like this cat is out there and he's limping. He's hurt. And there's this other big cat who is, you know, like out looking to hurt him. Yes. Uh So I feel a lot of worry. So I called the vet and I asked him, like, do you have a trap? But this, is, this was like an hour ago, and it's like 1 a.m. And he's like, no, I don't have a trap. But he told <laughs> me, like, you have three days to trap this cat before he gets an infection, and, you know, like, he can die. Like, that's what happens to stray cats. Mm. So I started to get really stressed, and then I thought, like, okay, this night, there's nothing I can do. Like, there's no way I can find a trap at 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, and I know, like, I'm not doing any good to anyone, by worrying and I know like if I go out on the streets to find him, like there's no good in that because he doesn't trust me. Like I just feed him from the distance. So it's not like, I. even if I try my best, I cannot trap him. So I know like there's literally nothing I can do, but at the same time, it's very hard to be okay with this. Like knowing he's out there hurt and I cannot do anything.
1: Uh, yes, and I can't do anything. Isn't that kind of like the motto of the um, uh, the sport team called despair, that I can't do anything?
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Right. Okay. Um, let's just use that for just a moment, using this as an example, but going back into the detail of what uh, – Ian and I were talking about before uh, in the sense that he used a term called the dark night of the soul, which is something that happens with with Christians and that it happens in the sense of, gosh, I I just I'm at the bottom and there's no place to go. Um, one way that that feeling can be expressed is the feeling of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay, Or when all things are forsaken um, in one way, that means that they have forsaken me, and there's still a me here that is in despair because there's no way out of the mess. All right, there's two famous people in Christianity that have had this. There's only just a few. I mean, it's not a very common thing, but it is a really big deal. And that is St. John of the Cross. But the one that's more known is uh, one called Mother Teresa, who died in the 1990s. And 10 years after that, they um, uh, published her memoirs before she was canonized. And there it revealed that she was really kind of Deeply in her heart wounded and ticked off that Jesus wouldn't answer her prayers. He answered all them other guys' prayers. They told her so, but she, but she can't hear Jesus talking to her. And she went into a dark despair about that. And you can see, in fact, the way that she used money and other things that brought, that brought great criticism from various quarters about that was because she wasn't thinking clearly because she felt ticked off because she wasn't getting her benefit from her Jesus. Now that's something that happens and, and another way that it happens when uh someone with a very stooped head will say, I have doubts. I have deep doubts. Okay. So that kind of behavior is that dark night of the soul. It's despair mm-hmm. in the sense that there's no way out and i know that you can feel that way and you're doing it over a cat
4: i do love Which
1: that me, cat uh huh but you can also do that over your mom you can do that over yourself you could do that over all of the cats that you can't save you could do that all once you go into that du- direction of going into despair that's an old habit that you're building up all right, and I can talk you out of it, but I thought the first thing that we do is at least show you that this is well known, it's well understood, it's deeply buried into the philosophy and the teachings of the Buddha that we're talking about here. Um, that that this point about despair is only because we're at the bottom level of actually uh, uh, the the first kind of doubt, and that doubt is about who made this mess and who can i get to help me to clean it up which is basically the victim i mean you you have now become the victim of that big large cat that has picked on two of your pet kittens
4: i don't hate the big cat either like i also feel i like him but you know like nature's nature and he's ah, like the...
1: but, right, but I hurt. You see, that's one of the things that I heard you say that this was that this was you were hurting. That you didn't want the I... cat to hurt.
4: Okay? Well, I don't want the that... cat to hurt.
1: Okay, that's because you don't
0: want to hurt. And here you are hurting yourself. Almost as if you're hurting now will keep the cat from hurting more. That's
1: kind of a magical thinking, isn't it? If I hurt bad enough, then the cat won't hurt so much.
4: (laughs) Yeah, but I did have, like, a very lucid moment where I knew, like, the best thing I can do is actually, like, get inside my house because uh, I built, like, I had this small place where the cat can hide. So if I get inside the house, Mm -hmm. he can come. But if I'm out looking for him, I'm going to scare him. So I okay. know it's not good right. if I go out.
1: Well, well, here, here's the thing: is is that there are some things like that cat, or maybe that president, or maybe that bad boy, or maybe that mafia don, uh, don that you cannot control. Maybe you cannot control that police officer. Now, the question is whether you want to control that police officer or not. And you say, well, I want to control the cat for its own good, because if it hurts, I'll hurt. And if I don't hurt, then I'll have to allow the cat to have its own hurt. But I don't want it to hurt. Okay. So in in a way, you're kind of jealous of the cat's hurt. And you want some too. This is what the Buddha is talking about in the sense of becoming a self. And you become that self in order to feel the hurt that you that you are sharing with your cat because you and your cat in your mind have bonded together. You're very close, and you feel also the rejection of that cat because the cat's afraid of you. And so now here you are chasing after the cat. Yeah.
4: Well, I've never actually had tried to touch him like i did the first months and then i just uh, i decided like oh we'll just have like a very distant relationship where i feed him but i stay out of his way like i mm-hmm. respect him but right now i feel like also what i noticed is that part of my pain comes to the fact that this makes very clear that i cannot control like external suffering.
1: Uh, but isn't that what we were actually talking about of the dark night of soul is when we think that we're out of control. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sense of being out of control, which actually in a way is being the ultimate victim. Is when we're out of control like the despair of the nun that we were talking about was because Jesus won't answer her prayers. He won't get her out of the mess that she's in. Okay. And you call the vets and the vets wouldn't give you a box to get you out of the despair that you were in. And so you come and talk to me about the despair that you're in. And guess what? You're not in despair anymore. <laughs> but well, there's own- in
4: waves. <laughs> <laughs> like it comes in waves. <laughs> I mean, like I don't know. Feels like I think like there's this part of my mind that I have become more aware in the past weeks, which is that I'm seeking for safety. Even in Dharma, Uh even in enlightenment, like my mind fantasizes like one day I'm going to be enlightened so nothing will hurt. But then something happens, like the thing with this cat, (laughs) and then it hurts. And then my mind goes like, okay, for example, I'll call (laughs) Damaratus. So he can talk me out of this, but I can sense like this energy, like this is not even about <laughs> the cats. my job. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like bigger than just the cat. And you know, like this is like well, i are looking for let's safety go back that's to
1: that not for just exist. a second. That here you just touched on it though. And that is is that you're looking for safety and security. Yeah, and that the cat and the situation with the cat has only brought up your own issues of safety and security because the cat has no safety and security right now, and in a way, you're um, uh, the word is vicariously, I think, or uh, let us say,
0: piggybacking
1: or me tooing
0: uh-huh. that because
1: the cat's suffering, you're suffering, but. You're already in the habit of suffering. And so you go around looking for any many uh, place like that that's in danger, so that you can vicariously become part of that, so that you can feel danger too, because it's a comfortable, familiar feeling. While at the same time, now you're waking up to that. You're you've done enough practice, so you can see, wait a minute, there's this sense of maybe you can call it urgency or a sense of not well-being or a sense that something's wrong or the sense that there's some emptiness or there's a missing piece or basically it's just that everything feels dangerous
4: right yeah it, more than dangerous it's like everything feels like uncertain <laughs> but i it, mean
1: uncertain exactly right Uncertain, that's a a really, really good way of expressing it. What you mean by uncertain, though, is is that for one thing, everything really is uncertain. Everything is uncertain. Then in fact, that's one of the primary teachings of the Buddha and it comes in several forms. One is a Nietzsche. Everything is in turmoil. Everything is up and down and back and forth. The question is, is can you stand back enough to where you can see the ups and downs and the backs and the forth rather than actually getting on it and then being confused? But when you stand back and understand the nature of the way things operate, then you can see these cycles in there, which is called samsara. You can see the same thing happen over and over and over again. Been there, done that is the kind of the attitude that we want to develop. I've seen all of this before. In other words, everything keeps fitting into the pattern. And sometimes we run across something that is kind of interesting in the sense of almost spectacular. Because it's almost like, wow, look at this. Because it fits in with all of this stuff that's come up. And it's like, bang, like the, 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 uh, the bottom of the exclamation point. Where that it ends in that that, that bang like that. And this happened to a student quite recently with a saying that he had heard, and it fit in so well with what he was talking about that he was quite elated about it, and he wanted to share it with his dad. And I pointed out that that same sentence may not mean anything to his dad because he doesn't have all the history built up for it. Okay, so in a way, what we're saying is is that you have built up a pattern of being in a moment of despair or being in a moment of feeling unsafe. Or that you can't control things, that that things are not certain. Now, um, there's two possibilities of things remaining uncertain. And that is, is one, they're either uncertain and safe. Or two, they're uncertain and dangerous.
0: Um,
4: I don't know. I guess, like, depends, like, right now, for me and my body, uncertain and safe. (laughs)
1: OK, well, uh, when when we are uncertain and and safe, then we can go off into the expression of just enjoy the show. for
4: example, but, like if, 18...
1: but if it's uncertain and unsafe, then we go in the direction of I want my money back. <laughs> I want my money back instead of just enjoy the show. So we want to change it. We want
0: to make it different. Because I we think We want, like, want to make it certain. We want to know. I feel like,
4: I don't know, like a lot of my suffering comes from just resisting to change in general. And for example, sometimes I think like, you know, if I die, well, I mean, obviously I will die. <laughs> but when I die, like, it's okay, I'll be fine. But then, for example, this thing with the cat happens and, and then, oh, he might die in three days. Maybe yes, maybe not. But then it's like, I don't want to let go of the cat, but I'm. it almost feels like I'm taking away his freedom to die also. And then I think like, oh, why am I okay with dying? But why am I not okay with someone else dying, like my cat or my mom or, you know, whatever. And it, and then sometimes I notice that too. When I suffer, I'm like, oh, it's okay. I know it will pass. But then I see my mom suffering. it's like, no, you don't get to suffer. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm starting to notice. Yes. like, Why yes. am I more okay with my suffering and my impermanence than with the world around me? Like, that makes no sense.
1: Well, here's an interesting question. Is the way that you feel about that cat and the way that you feel about your mom the same in the sense that there's something happening and you can't stop it? You can't, you're out of control, that you can't be certain about what's happening?
4: Well, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's very interesting. Okay. So, really what we're then looking at is that feeling that you have that needs to be addressed rather than the cat or your mom. That you're always looking for the outside to make the outside better so that you'll feel better on the inside. But the real issue is is that uh, when the cat suffers, you suffer. When your mom suffers, you suffer because you're in the habit of doing that. That in fact, not only are you in the habit of doing that, you do it by instinct. It's right down into our DNA. Yeah, what is that? It's called society, or another way for the scientists, they call it the herding instinct or the nesting instinct, that we naturally, as humans, bond with others. And that's a very good thing when we bond correctly, and it could be very painful when we bond with them painfully or on the pain side. So what I've been inviting you to do with your mom is to bond with her on the happy side, rather than bond with her on the negative side. That you can, in fact, control her. You can at least control her when she smiles just by dancing for her.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How do I bond (laughs) healthy with the (laughs) cat?
1: Yeah, but when you feel guilty because you can't make her feel better, when, in fact, if you would smile at her,
0: you'd make her feel better. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole point is, can
1: you remember to find that smile on the inside for yourself so that you can remember to smile for yourself to cheer yourself up? There's no reason for you to not gladden your own mind. There's no reason for you to feel bad because you can't control the cat or you can't control your mom's health. There's a whole lot of stuff you can't control. You can't control me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's obvious. Like this is not a good habit to have. Like the day I did, I I caught the other cat. I took him also like late at night to this veterinary, and when I came back, I went by this bridge on the street. And under the bridge were a lot of homeless people sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I realized, like, oh, my God, like, there's just, you know, like, this is yeah, why didn't you save all of
1: them? Why didn't you feed them cat or something?
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: no, <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. That is something kind of that's quite <laughs>
1: remarkable for us to begin to realize two things. One is that we are, in fact, quite out of control in that big, wide, wonderful, it ain't so much wonderful world because we can always find a whole lot of wrong with it. And when we find something that's wrong with it, then it winds up being that we feel bad because we can't fix it. Where in fact, it's too much for you to fix. The question is, can you fix your own mind? Can you fix your own mind to the point that you can walk into the, under that underpass and see the homeless people there
0: and give them a little bit of money and sing to them? And give them your joy. Instead
1: of poor you, you go in there and you're freaked out about it because you begin to feel the way that they feel rather than having them feel the way that you choose to feel. This is the essence of Anapanasati, especially that point of changing the mind from unwholesome thoughts that you see when you're down there. When you see the cat, you see it injured. So you think of injury. When you see the homeless, you see them in deprivation. You have deprivating thoughts. The question is, are you going to be strong enough minded to remember that you can have wholesome thoughts instead? And one of the wholesome thoughts is, let me out of here. (laughs) 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 And and I mean that not in the sense of let me out of here, out, out from under the bridge where all of those people are, but let me out of those people in my own mind. Let's throw that stuff out. Let's put something wholesome in there. Let's let's talk about how uh, how much you love the cat, not what you can't do for the cat. Let's talk about how hearted and 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 uh, sharing you are, rather than the mistakes that you make while you're out there doing your sharing and your caring. I think it's quite marvelous that you're out there helping and sharing, and I mean you've got such a tender heart.
4: Thanks.
1: And so I congratulate
4: He's you for that. I don't. Nice you congratulate congrats. yourself for that. I I do like feel at this at one point earlier I thought like well even if he dies we did have a very nice friendship because I never really touched him so there is this friendship where sometimes I went out and sit and he will sit like a few meters apart from me mm-hmm. like we don't need to talk or to touch. But, you know, like
1: maybe you can take a little morsel of food that he would like. And when you see him close enough that you can just throw some food off in his direction and give him the choice of whether or not he's going to eat it.
4: Yeah, I I did feed him earlier and then that's when I trapped him. Um, But, yeah.
1: Try feeding him again. I mean, he's still got the choice, especially if you just walk off. If you stand there hoping that he'll take the food. Then he won't come. But if you walk on off, do the Zen trick.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Launch launch the arrow and let it go and walk off. So you throw the morsel of food. You don't even care whether the cat picks it up or not. What you care about,
0: the fact is, is that you've got such a generous heart. Yeah. Yeah, so stay with, I've got such a generous heart. And so you're out there feeding the cat.
1: And that's the important thing, whether the cat eats the food or not. Probably we will depend upon your attitude. If you're out there wanting him to have the food, he might be resistant
0: to that. But if you just throw the food and walk away, then he might see you more friendly. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's true. So like... it
0: really has to do with your own attitude, and right
1: now you're in the attitude of you want something for that cat, rather than being friendly to the cat.
3: Yeah, but and more also...
1: important, you need to be friendly within your own mind to yourself by gladdening the mind, having wholesome thoughts, saying everything's going to be all right, everything's going to be fine. And allow yeah. yourself to
4: be re- happy and, and relaxed. I also, like, realized, like, um, like the best thing I can do for this cat, like, even before he was hurt, like, he's a feral cat. Like, you cannot adopt a cat like him. Like, he's used mm-hmm. to being free. So.
1: Me too. Know, I'm like... feral.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think, like, well, he has his freedom, you know, and he, he has a nice life. <laughs>
0: Yeah, easy come, easy go.
4: Yeah.
1: Allow yourself to think that also, that, okay, the cat can be friends for a while, easy come, easy go. He's going to go his own way, that you can't control him. Just because you want him to be your friend doesn't mean he's going to stay your friend.
0: What's important is, is that you know how to be friendly.
4: Yeah. And then like earlier you were talking about magical thinking and then at one point earlier my mind went in that direction like trying to look for comfort like well yeah but maybe he'll have a next life which is better than a cat or maybe he'll be reborn into a place where I don't know he'll have Dharma friends and then become a Buddha or something I don't know.
1: Well. I don't know, but I've been told, and it sure seems logical to me, that being dead is a whole lot more peaceful than hanging around (laughs) wanting to be free. Yeah,
4: that makes sense. (laughs) That's also something I thought, like, the vet told me, like, you know, three days, top four, like, well, that's not a lot of time of suffering if he dies.
1: Yes, so this is the point that's so difficult for most people to understand is is that at any particular moment in time, you've got a choice as to whether you're going to have wholesome thoughts or unwholesome thoughts. Can you either gladden up your mind, brighten up your mind, and say, I can be happy even if the cat dies?
4: Like happy because he lived and it was nice?
1: No, you don't have to be happy because. You could be happy.
0: Your choice.
4: Yeah, well, it's easier if he dies. Well, in my mind, it feels like if he dies, it's easier than if I see him suffering because then my mind wants to fix him. But if he dies, like, well, I cannot I fix that.
1: That's right. Exactly. But he's already told you that you can't fix him, he's yeah. not going to let you do that. <laughs>
4: Yeah, you're
1: right. Yeah, you don't have to suffer until he finally dies before you figure out that you can't fix him. You can figure that out now that you can't fix him. Yeah. And that's that's really hard for us to come to. I don't like that at all. Every time I tell the student about it, I really don't like it myself because I really do want to fix the world. (laughs) I'd like to give the world a Coke. And everyone sing in perfect harmony. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. The question yeah. is, is can, can I can I sing in my own harmony? That's the only real question. Can I find others that I can sing in harmony with, but the whole world, not a chance. I think,
4: like, not that's, a- like the hard truth that it's a bit hard to accept. Like, I feel like it downs into me. And then, again, I try to find a way that everything can be fixed. And then, obviously, that's not Wait a minute, possible. wait a
1: minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who made you queen of the world?
4: Oh, my own mind. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I know, I know. Like it's like this savior complex or something. <laughs> well I bow
1: I bow to your highness. Please go ahead and fix me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that, I mean, that's that's like, actually even...
1: magical thinking. Think about this. This is kind of a magical thinking that you're responsible for and you are capable of fixing the whole world when in fact The reality is we can't fix any of it. The only thing that we can control is the world that we know on the inside. And once we're able to do that, then we can happily deal with the world. And in a way, by happily dealing with the world, we're dealing with the world in a way that the world would prefer. So we're actually benefiting the world by you being happy yourself. In other words, you can go and make friends or you can spread joy. But you can only spread something that you've got. If you're trying to sell something you don't have, you're just a charlatan. I've seen many of those. (laughs) So you have to bring that joy in. And so it's actually then the the teaching of the Buddha is first to get into seclusion in the sense of getting away from it all. In your case, getting away from that cat in your own mind. (laughs) Yeah. Get it into seclusion so that you can bring about some joy and some happiness. That's the step of gladdening the mind or changing the mind from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts. And you literally talk yourself into feeling good. So at the bottom of that feeling good, then, is that we talk about that though it's not safe out there, in here it's safe. And I feel safe and I feel secure. Then I can talk about it and I feel comfortable that there's no aches and pains. There's no reason to get up. I don't have to go to the toilet. I don't have to shower. I don't have to shave. I don't have to do anything. I'm not hungry. I'm not thirsty. Well, I'm thirsty. I talk a lot. But uh, we just get ourselves in the state to where everything is okay. And then we sit and become satisfied with this. So this issue of safety, security, comfortable and satisfaction are all the elements of the word in Pali is called suka, And suka is the exact opposite of the word dukkha. And so you and the cat are dukkha together. But when you can get away from the cat, now you can generate some sukha by recognizing that right now I'm safe right now, everything is uh, okay. Or in what you were talking about right now, I can control this moment. Because I could control how I feel because I'm thinking about controlling how I feel. And how I feel in control is good. I feel good. I feel satisfied. I feel happy. I feel content. So practice getting into that state over and over again. But we have to get some cats out of the mind. We have to get away <laughs> from it all. Yeah, and bring ourselves into a happy state and then you can go out and do something for the cat but you remain happy within you don't have to fall back into feeling bad and hurt because the cat's bad and hurt you can remain joyful and then when you go to talk to your mom because she's sad and hurt doesn't mean you have to feel sad and hurt you can go in there and spread your joy with her This is what we mean by the Kaliyametta, or this is what we mean by uh, a mudita, or many of those Pali words, is, is that we can spread the joy that we have that we've been able to, let us say, uh, skillfully manufacture or produce the skills of the practice of anapanasati that we build those up as skills. We, we, we build the skill to remember. We build, we build the skill of direct investigation to really look at how we feel and what's going on and how we're thinking. And then we change those thoughts from unwholesome to wholesome, gladdening thoughts. We cheer ourselves up. We bring about some pity. And then when we do it over and over again, we get the idea, hey, you know, I can do this. I feel like a champion now. And that's when the pity arises. And so we feel really, really good champion on top of things.
0: That's And that's something. when,
1: when we feel like that, that's when we can go out into the world and and really help the world is when we've got a really beautiful attitude about being able to do something as and well then, as the skill of investigation. Uh,
4: what
0: so go do ahead. You sorry.
4: Do, uh, sorry. That's also a question I had non-related to cats. <laughs> uh, I've been feeling like lately more pity. Well, I think it's pity. I'm not sure. You know, like this, like waves, like when you sneeze, but uh-huh. on the body when I do the practice.
1: Oh, you and really like it, huh? It feels. Be- yeah,
4: <laughs> like a ghost bump, <laughs> and I can kind of deliberately do it. Um, and yes, then that's part it's of, become so a see, bit. You
1: do have control. Look at that. First, you tell us you're out of control, and now you're saying that you're learning to control uh, rapture and pity itself. Wow. Good for you.
4: <laughs> yeah, I yeah mean... I'm
1: getting all gushy about that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, well, I've been like playing with it, especially like before sleeping, but then, then what? <laughs> like, what do you do with pity?
1: Well, that's the whole point is, is that you just enjoy, you just allow the fact that you can feel really good. I mean, isn't that the whole point about going and buying a new car, or getting a new job or ripping somebody off or robbing the bank or uh, uh, let's say becoming president, whatever it is that people want to do, they want to do it so that they can feel really good. And here you are feeling really good. And you asked me what to do with that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and I just feel like
1: maybe there's some joy, yeah. It's course. okay. <laughs> yeah, just, just uh, I like, yeah. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> enjoy that moment. Okay. It, it will it too shall be over, it too shall subside. It gets even more relaxed than that. And as you get more and more relaxed, there's more and more to see. There's more and more to actually observe as we get more and more relaxed. And so first off is that we get the mind in functioning straight order, getting it fit for work, applying and sustaining the thought, a wholesome thought one after another until we get this pity and rapture going. Then we leave some gaps in the thought so that we really start to pay close attention to how good we feel, which is then referred to as the second job. And then, and all of that giddiness that we feel for a while, it begins to melt away into just subsiding into just really, really feeling good, which is then called the third jhana. And then that even goes down to the level of just nothing to do, no place to go, just, uh, just complete relaxation, which is the fourth jhana. But in that kind of state, you can really see how the mind operates and what's going on in this kind of stuff. And so this is the actual practice that we have, is the practice of getting the mind really stable so that we can really see how things are and that we can relax our way right into anything.
4: And earlier you said, like, uh, to Buddha, I don't remember your exact words, but you said, like, uh, you only needed, like, I think, first jana?
1: Yes. All we really need is the first chana because we can see, in fact, that's the kind of the joke is because when you really, really, really establish and have really firm control so that you can stain it and keep it going, then it doesn't take much skill to get into the second chana. And once you're into the second chana, it's almost always downhill after that. <laughs> you just get more and more.
4: To, like to and, practice and so your and is like it's I'm like sorry, being in like being in First Janna, like the more like trying to be in First Johna all the time as possible.
1: Well, no, because that's a rule or a law or a should, mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. isn't it nice to be in First Johna? Let's do that, and then later we'll have the thought, Yeah, all right, I could. <gasps> Just relax. So basically what we're talking about is sati, that you're looking when you talk about always in first jhana, that means that your sati is so good that it's always there. But that's not the way that it's even described. That basically the way the Buddha describes it is unremitting, which means it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back and that you want to practice it so that it comes back when you need it the most. You don't have to be right on top of the game all the time. And In fact, the image is is the bank robber who's got a great big bomb all over his body and vest and everything, and he's got a button. And once he pushes it, if he lets go of that button, the vest goes off and blows up. Okay. A lot of people have the idea that that's the kind of, oh, I got to be in 1st John all the time. Almost (laughs) if I let my finger off the button, I'm exploding or something. (laughs) No, what that means is that basically when you let the finger off the button, you go back to the normal state, which is kind of painful, ordinary state. And we don't like it so much. And we'd rather be back in 1st John if we can think about it. We've got a choice here. All you have to do is remember. Once you develop the skill, then when you remember to do it, it's like that first breath is right into it. Ah, well, I'm really glad I thought of that. <laughs> I really. I don't have to think about that anymore. Or, aha, I see that again. So just those kind of statements is enough once we're in the habit to go right into the first jhana. It can be done that way easily. Why? Because we've got the skill of the investigation and the skill of the right effort. To actually change that thought right into a wholesome thought just throw that garbage out and just come into yeah i mean just in our case throw that dead cat out or at least (laughs) that wounded cat (laughs) 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 throw that wounded cat out and i'll just simply be happy why because i'm not doing that cat any good by sitting here and worrying about it he's out on the street doing his thing yeah So you're not helping that cat by worrying about the cat. But you can certainly worry yourself by worrying about the cat. And so not thinking about the cats. The Buddha talked about it in the sense of elephants. Don't think about elephants. (laughs) (laughs) So you, don't think about wounded cats.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Like the only... Moment I should think about a wounded cat and is when there's one in front of me and only if I can help, and if not, then I don't.
1: Now that's wisdom talking. Now that's wisdom, yes. That how do you feel when that cat is right in front of you is the way that you want to deal with. How do you feel about what's happening, not what you're thinking about? And normally we go around feeling what we're thinking about. So if you're thinking happy, wholesome thoughts, then that's how you're going to feel. There is a deep connection between the Vedana and the chitta. Uh, and that is, in fact, step, uh, I think is number eight in Anapanasati, is to see that compounding, to see that um, interreaction that we would in English say that you can, the way that I say it is, that you have spent your whole life talking yourself into feeling bad in one way or another. Now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good in whatever way you please. That it really does please.
0: Find some pleasure, get some joy in life. Because if you, you,
1: we need to learn to control the mind, to at least get it out of the cesspool. We'll learn to deal with pleasure after we learn how to control it and manage it. It's easy enough to put away a toy after we finish playing with it, (laughs) but this is a step that a lot of people in Buddhism miss. They think that they have to come out of drudgery into nothing.
4: Yeah, that's. I was like the first time I talked to you. That was my plan.
0: ian
1: you've been smiling and nodding you look like you understand what we're talking about i've been kind of i've been enjoying myself yeah
2: yeah and i i had the same question about pity and what do you do with it so you've answered that one for me
0: Uh uh-huh
2: and you've answered the, the two the two big questions that I've got you answered. The only the other question I've got is something I think I'll save until later because I think it'll take a long answer. So I'm going to save that till next time.
1: Oh, I really relish long.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very you're very good at long answers, so
1: I'm saving <laughs> that one for you. <laughs> Excellent. Annie Lou, have you gotten what you needed today?
4: Yes. <laughs> I'm satisfied. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Yes, satisfied. I Ian, that's great too. I'm really glad to meet you. I hope you and call soon again. And we'll talk will. To, uh, directly more about practice. So I've given you all the details of it today. Yes. And
2: I've got put it as a book so
1: I can I can check those as well. Excellent, guys. This has been a great talk. I really
0: enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah. Bye. Okay, we'll see you.
4: Bye. Bye, Ian.
0: Bye.